Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. With me today, I'm very honored to have the creator of the actual play stream and podcast, Transplaner. Also, they are a game designer and a very fantastic GM, if you would like to introduce yourself. Yeah. Hey, everyone. First of all, thank you, Navarre, for having me on this podcast. So excited to be here. I'm Connie, uh, pronouns they, he, and she. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, itch, Patreon, pretty much every social media site uh, at by Connie Chong, B-Y, as in the authorial sign-off, not the sexuality. I like to say that I am both. Uh, by Connie Chong, C-O-N-N-I-E-C-H-A-N-G for my last name. And as you mentioned, I am the creator, the executive producer, the GM behind Transplaner RPG, which, if you don't know what that is, uh, we are an odd transgender people of color-led 100% homebrew Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition live-streamed actual play campaign set in an original, non-colonial, anti-orientalist world. We do stream Saturdays at 3 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch, but if you're like, I like actual plays, but I can't pay attention to streams, I got you. We release new podcast episodes every Tuesday wherever you pod your casts. So, it's a quick introduction <laughs> from me back to you. You're so good at that. I'm still working out my introductions here, but yeah, awesome. Well, I'm so glad to have you on. And where I usually like to start is just, you know, how did you get into nerd stuff? Did you grow up a nerd? Did you, were you openly a nerd? How, you know, what was that experience like for you? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, my family, I would say, is not... My parents are not nerds. It's not like a family tradition or a family legacy. Uh, I would say nerddom was my safe haven okay. away from like life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like as a kid growing up, uh, I was born in Boston, uh, but I actually grew up in Shanghai, China mm. from when I was about two to nine and a half. So basically like middle of elementary school, um, my mom moved myself and my sister to Boston, Massachusetts, and I 
it was it was just uh, it was honestly a mess uh i think that was like first or second grade i finished out in the states yeah uh, and then i uh we're like uh, fourth or fifth honestly like you you know that there's been like some adhd in my uh, <laughs> yeah in my history when i like can't even get my grades straight but i do remember being dropped into sixth grade in the middle of a season uh in boston so all the other kids uh in that school had grown up with each other since pre-k mm, right yeah. i was like that random kid dropped into sixth grade like halfway through sixth grade right <laughs> uh, and then like so you know i turned to nerddom yeah. as a means of escape from like a really tumultuous uh ever shifting volatile social life uh and there was that period in my life where like we moved houses like once a year mm. and like we'd like change school districts like i changed school districts like three times in three years yeah. right and that was really that was a lot for me you know at the time i was a kid i was like i'm fine with this i've always been extroverted i can roll with the punches but what i didn't realize was happening with me was because was that I was slowly growing more and more introverted as like a response to honestly, you know, that kind of, you know, it was low, it was looking at kind of trauma. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's like I, coping I was it. through as a kid. Yeah, for sure. So I turned to anime. I would say is one of my first ever like nerd nice, nerd yeah. spaces that I went to um, before. You know, also turning to like video games um, and watching like more nerdy TV shows. Like Sherlock was really big mm -hmm. when I was in middle school, right? Uh, so it was like Doctor Who was really big uh, for for me at the time, and like Harry Potter. But now J.K. Rowling, you know, <laughs> transphobe. So I disown that yeah. part of my uh, nerddom past. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I <laughs> talked about that a couple times on this show. I, I never was a fan. Uh, as a kid, I tried to get into it and did not like it. And I'm, and I'm like an avid fantasy fiction fan. And I just thought the books were dumb. So I didn't get past. The first I mean, one. that is fair. <laughs> In retrospect, they are pretty dumb. Yeah. Uh, but they did form like a pretty important part of my childhood. Yeah. Uh, and so I think for a lot of people, you know, too. Yeah. For sure, which makes like J.K. Rowling's like, honestly, it feels like a betrayal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a yeah. lot of her views feel like a betrayal of the text material that I, I, you know, still in a lot of ways look upon with such fondness. But I was like a trans person. I'm like, I feel like I can't like this thing anymore uh, because its creator is so heinous. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I, I, there's been a couple times. I think obviously there's like big um, mu music stars, you know, who have done things that are mm -hmm. awful that you kind of have to like. All right, do I just separate the artist from the art or do I just disown this altogether? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I have an author that I really loved um, most of their books and they weren't like controversial in that sense, but they became like an objectivist extremist and became very mm. arrogant and treated people like shit. And I mean, that's just like, you're a bad person. You Which uh, author is this? If you don't mind me uh, asking. Terry Goodkind. Mm. and and the same the similar thing of that like it was those the books that i read of his early on really helped me through a period in my life and and um kind of informed some philosophy around that but it it sucks when it's like okay yeah but you, you know now at least he's just an asshole and not like as far as i know like transphobic and and all these other right right so, but it's still i i get it but yeah so you when you were in school um, did you have trouble with like other kids who just being um, new kind of to Boston and being from China and well, you know, growing up in China for a time and then coming back? Like, was that difficult in the Boston area? Uh, yes, for sure. Uh, 
I think that was my first, honestly, going to the, I think it's a mixture of Boston public school system yeah. uh, as well as like middle school mm -hmm. for the first time. It was like my first experience with like kids who were just mean. Oh, yeah. Kids who were just mean for like no reason at the time. But now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, you were mean because you also have a, have and probably had and probably have a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, so like now I can look back on that period of my life with a lot of, I think, like forgiveness for what I would have would call my beliefs. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, they were going through some crap i don't know what what the swearing uh, oh no you're is good like yeah, here on this podcast solid. okay great i yeah. was like i'm gonna keep it as pg as possible no, yeah it's um, explicit so we're or it's mm. rated explicit i should say so you're fine great i'll get out as many swears as i can <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna take that as a challenge yeah Navarre. you got it <laughs> you hey, have said that. i listen to your <laughs> podcast i know how it goes <laughs> great <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah no mm -hmm. yeah i mean i can see you know i think it's it's good to be at a place especially um as an adult to say like you know, kind of move on and forgive, you know, I'm not a religious person by any means, by any means, but I do believe in forgiveness as just a virtue, if you will, I guess, but. Totally not for them, but for myself. Right. Cause yeah. like holding on to that, like it would stunt my growth as a person. Yes, so yeah. I'm like, I'm just gonna let that be a chapter of my past. And it's so long ago at this point that it, you know, it doesn't hurt anymore. Right. Um, but you know, bullying and also like a little bit of social social not ostracism because that makes it feel like i was exiled on purpose yeah. uh, but just like not really fitting in you know and i feel like a lot of people who grew up as nerds right like can empathize with yeah, that absolutely. right this feeling of like not belonging so you find a sense of belonging through online fandom mm -hmm. and now it's interesting because i see like things that i would have considered be like really nerdy like some aspects of gaming now become mainstream yeah and now become like more accessible like even the quote-unquote like popular kids mm -hmm. right like know what video games are and like they play them yeah. or like they like they watch streamers you right. know or like they do the thing on tiktok right and like it's not so quote-unquote cringy anymore which yeah. is also interesting to see yeah and i mean even look at like marvel where now it's just mm -hmm. a global phenomenon and i mean whereas it could have been something like a litmus test of you know oh you like batman or superman or well i'm now i'm saying dc but like you like these things but and people are like oh yeah that's great and then you're like well now you could just be a movie fan because they made fantastic movies and that's why you like mm -hmm. iron man and thor not necessarily because you were a nerd totally <laughs> totally yeah the mcu is like super it's like one of the most what like highest grossing movie franchises yeah. like ever yeah. right like everyone knows what the mcu yeah. are yeah for sure yeah was there a, a chinese or asian community at all in boston at that time yes uh the high school slash middle the 7 through 12 uh school i ended up going to was boston latin school so okay. if any bls alums are listening <laughs> to this hello yeah awesome. <laughs> i do not bleed purple do not go wolfpack <laughs> i had a lot of mixed experiences uh at bls yeah. um yeah, yeah, no, but I had, there was a really big Asian, specifically Asian American uh, community and population at BLS, mm -hmm. uh, honestly a disproportionate amount, okay. uh, we were overrepresented in BLS, uh, because it was a exam school, you had a test to get in, but it was public, mm, okay. uh, so it was kind of like a public school that had a lot of private school kids in it, yeah. uh, school, you know, because of the exam, like, barrier gotcha. to entry, yeah. So, you said you kind of had like mixed experiences there. Was that, I guess, are you willing to talk about that? Like, you know, what was that kind of like in the high school side of things as you grew up, you know, being yeah. a nerd and, and everything else? 
Definitely. I would say BLS, well, at least when I attended BLS, yeah. uh, which is from like 2000, oh God, what, like 9 to 2015, <laughs> okay. probably? Yeah, yeah 2000, 2009 to 2015. Um, there was definitely, there were definitely like, I wouldn't say cliques, but there were like friend groups. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely, the friend groups I was in were definitely more nerdy. Like I was in Latin club, you know, like I hung out with a lot of the anime kids and a lot of like the art kids, you know, I'd float around, you know, and hang out with like some of the tech you know tech kids and kids who are into like video games and stuff yeah um and my closest friends were like also big nerds and we're also kind of a little bit like i wouldn't say social outcasts but like you know didn't quite like you know weren't like the biggest voices at pep rally yeah. right yeah. like we we wouldn't go to like who would show up to a bls football game no except for the players and the shooters right <laughs> yeah. and like their friends yeah. right so there was that yeah nice and then at what point did you get into tabletop from there actually not until my senior year of high school slash my first year of college um my sister who's two and a half years older than me i'm in minneapolis right now she lives out in la um she started this like holiday tradition where like on new year's eve we call it new year's adam because it would happen the um <laughs> the day before new year's eve yeah. and we call it a new year's adam because adam comes before eve <laughs> yeah because yeah. it's like a yeah it's like a dirty joke uh and uh I sort of added to that tradition. We just like, it's like a little, like, not like a rager, but like a, you know, cute little like get together at our like apartment, you know, in Back Bay uh, slash the South End. Um, and I sort of added one year, I was like, I'll organize this and I want to run D&D. <laughs> like, I'm sick of just hearing about D&D. I want to, I want to run it. Yeah. Uh, because all my friends at the time were listening like to the adventure zone and I'd started listening to the adventure zone and I'd started like, you know, like getting into critical role. And I was like, this seems like a lot of fun. I want to do it. Also, it like mixes things I like, like theater and improv. Cause I was also like a big improv kid in like middle and high school. Yeah. Uh, and like, I've always loved theater and I've always loved performing and role playing, you know? Uh, so I was like, you know, D&D feels like the perfect mix of a bunch of these things. And I offered a GM because that's always the easiest way to get a game going is you offer a GM. Yeah. And I was also very excited about the prospect of building my own world because ever since, for as long as I can remember, I've been writing, right? I've been imagining these like fantasy worlds as a, as a kid. That's why I was so drawn to Harry Potter. I love Percy Jackson, yeah. you know, Hunger Games series, like all of these books. I love, 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 loved. And I've always been writing, you know, ever since I was, you know, ever since I was old enough to hold a pencil, right? And then like to work a keyboard. Yeah. Uh, so I offered to GM you know a, a campaign for my friends at the time uh uh in high school and they agreed and we ran a couple of sessions of of this like homebrew D, D game that's how that was my first foray into ttrpgs and it just sort of continued into college yeah that's awesome did you have that experience of like having this mass plan for how the game was going to go and then your players completely shit on that plan and a hundred percent yeah a thousand percent yeah. i had this whole thing planned recently i had the pleasure and a good chuckle of finding my old notes from that campaign nice. like that i did longhand mm -hmm. like i just like i was like doing some like cleaning stuff out and i found this like little notebook with stuff in it and i was like wow i'd planned like so much crap and like we didn't get to any of it uh because the campaign only lasted what like four or five sessions and then uh we had to switch to like remote we would only play like once a year because of the party and then like we switched to like remote play and then i couldn't keep up a schedule you know so it just sort of like fell to the wayside right yeah. um but i would say you know and I've, I've i've grown so much as a gm and as a player since then i would say my biggest problem um the biggest mistake i made as a gm looking back uh is not is making the campaign 
for myself, not for my players. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my players were all like super jokey, super meme You know, they're yeah. like like the nerdy kids who would like pass memes around, and you know, they're great. And I I love them. Um, but the campaign I pitched and that I didn't even pitch it. I just ran it. I was yeah. like, this is the campaign this you're playing brilliant. in this, yeah. right? Um, it was like this really fucked up, like post apocalyptic, <laughs> like everyone's fucking dead. Yeah. Like you have to wear gas masks. <laughs> like there are these messed up demons and like sturges, and like my friends were just like, I'm gonna dab, and I'm like. <laughs> you're gonna dab while this hag eats a child in front of you and i was like really trying to like push the horror aspect but it did not work out because yeah. they were not taking it seriously yeah and i should have just made a comedy campaign that's what i should have done right looking back on it now yeah um or like made the horror really funny uh yeah. but yeah but yeah or just yeah i guess or, or lean into it i think that can sometimes work for too, sure for like, sure you know this is a horror thing but we're just gonna lean into the fun that we're having or or in the jokes and everything else um <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah for sure i think it, it's it's tough especially when you're like like you said you want to play so bad so you're like all right the only way we're gonna play is if i do it if i dm mm-hmm. and then you're just like nobody else is gonna take the time to do this so you start doing all this stuff and world building and planning and and uh yeah and then your players come in and you're like just play whatever you want it's fine <laughs> And there it goes. Uh-uh. Yeah, I, d- I don't recommend saying that unless you're ready to actually do that. <laughs> don't say play whatever you want unless you're prepared for the consequences yeah. of that, right? If you're not actually okay with your players playing whatever, don't say that. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I definitely have learned that lesson myself. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it is fun. And like you said, you know, when you can do some of that improv and, and you know, add the comedy and the, and the role play to it, it really you can kind of mix a lot of stuff in and really blend it well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I've been listening to your show, that's one thing. And I'm not just saying this because you're you're being interviewed right now, but you have become one of my favorite DMs because you are so amazing at building the story and telling the story and improving quick. And it's so seamless and smooth. And it's just like, man, like it's inspiring. And I really enjoy listening to you Aww. do it. Yeah. Thank you, Navar. That yeah. really means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I you know, it's um, one of those things like I think everybody should go listen to your show, of course. Yeah, I think outside of the, you know, social impact of what you're doing, I think just as far as a D&D story goes, like it's just such a fun experience to listen to. Um, and you, I mean, you get completely into it, which is so cool and doing crazy voices and, and you know, your players <laughs> are obviously having a fun time and everything else, so. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thank you, Navar. Yeah, I just I just want to put out there that it's it's been a little it's been over a year since we started streaming and started playing. Our production value has definitely <laughs> gotten a lot better. I like I find myself in the position of editing past streams into a podcast now. Mm-hmm. I just put out for our patrons uh, episode ten of Arc One. For comparison, as of the recording of this wonderful podcast episode for Navar's podcast, uh, we are preparing to stream. Uh, arc four episode one this coming saturday so we are like a ways behind and each arc has like 15 episodes and a transition episode that bridges the arcs that we call our arc interludes yeah. and each episode is like two hours right <laughs> so like a lot has happened since like arc one and i'm like listening back on first of all i'm like our mics suck yeah. what is happening why am i clipping and second of all i'm like i feel like i've grown so much as a gm like i kind of want to like grab past me by the lapels and be like let the players talk shut up stop talking so much or like you need to be more consistent with your voices <laughs> or like you need to you know pick up on this thing that they're putting down that you're ignoring because you're you know too wrapped up in your dm notes 
notes, like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to hear that, like you still, you know, find joy in it. I'm, I'm, I'm still proud for sure of like stuff we did arc one and arc two, but it's also like very, I think, um, it's nice to have a podcast on a stream because you can look back on how far you've come. Yeah, uh, is is also like a, a fun way to like compare and contrast. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm still working on arc one. Um, I'm in this state now, especially after creating this mm. podcast where I've just, as I've been talking to people and hearing about different things and everything else, I'm digesting so much. So I'm trying to like listen to everything all at once. And, but yeah, even, you know, even with those things, I still think that it's been fantastic. And, you know, and I would just say too, I always encourage now I've, I've been trying to encourage people, like if there is something that doesn't have the best audio quality, like that's where we start, you know, everybody Mm-hmm. We're trying to put a story out there and, and, you know, it's something that clearly if you're doing a stream or a podcast or whatever, you're passionate about it. So you're trying to get it out and you're doing the best that you can with whatever you do have. Um, but I think it's important if you want to get to that point where it's like, okay, well, we need to support people through these times. So that way you can get to the point where you have the better equipment and the better mics for everybody and everything else. So. Definitely, definitely. I mean, if we if we waited until now, we wouldn't know the things we know now, right? Sure. And I'm I'm glad we started streaming back then. Um, and there is a barrier to entry because you kind of like, at this point in this, I would say actual play boom mm-hmm. right now that's happening, yeah. especially in the wake of COVID. Yes. A lot of people are staying home and they're yeah, like, why don't yeah. we just record our D and D game because we're doing this anyway, yeah. right? Uh, which is great, Thousands you know, which is fun. I, yeah. Great, you know, I'm totally I'm not against it at all. Yeah. Uh, but there is a barrier to entry. You do kind of have to have a nice mic. And if you're going to be streaming, like a nice camera helps too. Yeah. Right. And that does help increase the production value and does ensure that some people who like listen to five seconds, they'll be like, oh, these mics suck. And they'll like, you know, turn it off. Yeah. Right. Like and not even give your podcast a chance. Yeah. So like there, there is that consideration. And the mic I have now, I didn't, I got through like a giveaway actually oh, wow. through Hemlock Creek Productions. Shout them out. Yeah. Um, I'm really surprised a lot of people enter that giveaway and more people should follow them because this is a sure SM7B, right? Yeah. And like, it's a really nice mic. And I was using like a toner mic, which costs like 30 bucks on Amazon as a USB mic. Yeah. And then I upgraded to a Blue Yeti, which is like a nut, you know, that was also passed down from one of my other players who was also a streamer and she didn't need her, you know, Blue Yeti anymore. So she gave it to me um, and now upgraded, you know, to an Elgato, which was also passed down from the same streamer. So now my partner has the Elgato. I have the Shure and the Blue Yeti and the toner are just sort of like sitting sitting in the back um that we're, we're probably gonna uh offer them as prizes in like a giveaway or yeah. something at some point uh just so they recirculate in the community somehow yeah. but yeah that's awesome yeah no I, I definitely agree i think at the very least you know having usb mics helps uh that's still what i'm working it off does. of but yeah i think a lot of people still you know will use like airpods which airpods are great for music they're not great for no, or like the line-in, <laughs> like yeah. Apple at earbud. Least, yeah, at yeah. least the line-in helps. Some people just use straight to their computer, mm-hmm. which is That's the worst, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound good, no, yeah. yeah. But I always say, too, like, if you know the sound's bad, which I think you should know, right, um, you'll always just make at least a little something to say, like, hey, you know, we get better at this point. And mm-hmm. I've seen some podcasts that'll, like, you know, at episode 30, we just do a summary of everything in the past in case you don't want to like sit through our poor audio and then kind of go from there. But yeah, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really cool to just do it. So how long were you playing that, like home games and stuff before you decided I'm going to take on the world and go put myself out there? Not too long. 
probably around two years okay. consistently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Awesome. It's about two years. I feel like I kind of know, but like what really inspired you to, to do this, to, you know, do a podcast, to do one that's all trans and, and everything else? Yeah. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier. Like I was really inspired by the adventure zone, mm -hmm. which was like my first introduction to actual play okay. podcasts. Yeah. I like loved, I loved their D and D campaign. I was like, Holy cow. This is so funny and so emotional and so like interesting. And like the kind of storytelling that is like present here. Like I can't really get anywhere else. Like not from a book or a film or a TV show or even like an audio drama. Like there's something about like four people sitting around a table who know each other really well playing this game that just makes me want to keep listening and i wanted to reproduce that yeah right like i wanted to be a creator i want to be on the other end of the listener uh creative uh spectrum uh, so you know and at that point i'd graduated college uh, and moved out to Minneapolis with my partner, who's one of my players uh, in Transplanar RPG. My partner, C, plays Okahie, okay, who's yeah. our awesome our blood hunter. Um, and I, you know, I, I knew Erica, who plays uh, V. Nocherzo through uh, C, because they at the time were in the same queer, also all trans theater troupe. Okay. Uh, Erica has since less, left uh, the theater troupe, but we obviously we've uh, stayed together to, to continue doing Transplaner. And I met Max and Lyra, who are my other two players who are both trans as well, um, by basically doing like a soft casting call. Uh, I offered, I popped onto Minneapolis Twin Cities uh, Queer Exchange and I, but this was before the pandemic. And I offered a GM one shots. I was like, I will GM a one shot for you and like, like three to four other strangers. If you're available during these time slots, just hit me up you know, priority given to people of color, you know, but mm -hmm. everyone who's queer is welcome. Yeah. And like, I, you know, GM'd a couple of one shots and Max and Lyra stood out to me uh, in those. And after like, I sort of like got to know them through like that, you know, one four hour session each. Yeah. I was like, hey, would you like to like join this podcast project that I'm doing? And they both said yes. Awesome. Uh, so that's sort of like how, like that was like the logistics of how I recruited my players. Uh, and then we we started, um, we started Transplaner. Yeah. That's very cool. And um, was it always the, the plan to do it all trans? It sort of happened that way. Okay. Uh, either way, it was going to be all queer. Yeah. Uh, but it just so happened that everyone involved was trans, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and while, you know, after I'd finalized the cast list, basically, I was like, shit, like, I don't, I can't think of another all trans actual play podcast out there. Like, yeah. I did my research, yeah. you know, and I was like, who who else is doing what we're doing? And not a lot of people. And also, like, not a lot of people have, like, a more diverse balance in terms of, like, race and ethnicity, right? Like, the big actual play pods at the time, and to a lesser extent now, but definitely still now, we're, like, all white. We're, like, 90% white. Mm -hmm. We're, like, 99% white. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, I just felt like so some voices were missing from the discussion. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of that, the Adventure Zone, that's the one with like the three brothers and their dad, right? Yes, the McElroys, okay, yeah, and their yeah. dad, yep. Yeah, so th it's funny, there's a lot of podcasts like them and like uh, NADPOD and there's a couple mm. others that there was a time before, like as I was listening to, I just got into like Critical Role and um, uh, mm -hmm. the Glass Cannon podcast, which is uh, Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, these are great, but I, same thing. I wanted to like find POC. And so I was like going through just like listening, trying to see like, maybe I could tell by their voice or they could put something about the cast mm -hmm. I could look up. Mm -hmm. And so I came across that one and I was like, nope. And <laughs> I came across that pod and I was like, nope, that's not it. 
And so I just kept like going through this. So there's a lot of those that I just never gave a chance because at the time, it's not that they weren't good. It's just that it wasn't what I was looking for, you know? For sure. For sure. But it, Definitely. yeah, I mean, it was tough. And, and, you know, that's one of the blessings in disguise, I guess, of COVID is now with the advent of so many people putting their home games out, like you do have other shows now that are uh, POC as well. So. But, Definitely. Yeah. And, I would also say something. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it, it just it helps now and, and being a part of the community and being able to find them and, you know, shout them out to my very small audience and things like that has it, it's awesome. So. Definitely. There is such a glut of like now like diverse actual play content out there that at this point, especially if you're a white person being like, well, where are the diverse pods? I don't see any. <laughs> like that's on you, yeah. bro. Like at that point, there are so many of us out there. Yeah, <laughs> like sure. I can name like five off the top of my head, you know, just having been in this community. Um, it's interesting. It's funny you bring up NADPOD and Glass Cannon because uh, I actually really love NADPOD yeah. and I've had the absolute honor and pleasure of playing with Emily Axford um, and called Tanner from NADPOD yeah. and I'm like I just need to collect the rest like Thanos adding <laughs> gems to my gauntlet yeah. um, and it's funny too because I also am in the very very cool position of being one of the writers for Glass Cannon uh, 2.0 uh, they reached out to me that is yeah, amazing it was announced yeah that I'm so excited about that I'm like Pathfinder you yes. know 2e let's go yes. like let's do it <laughs> that is yeah I'm so excited right now so I yeah, I absolutely love Glass Cannon. It's one of like I binged it in like six months because I didn't mm. start till 2019. Binged it in six months and I've just been keeping up ever since. And same thing. It, sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's another set of five white dudes, but, um, you know, they, they I mean, they make a great show and they've done a lot recently to start to add diversity and obviously having you on to to help write that world that's such a cool thing um yeah i mean that's just so awesome but it really is cool and 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 you're doing stuff with because it has been put on the instagram you're going to be a character in the new three black halflings uh one of their yes, shows yes i'm so excited about that yeah it's been announced i am playing uh chang hoosher uh, or hoosher yeah. uh the everyone's favorite time wizard uh three black halflings for their second actual play season called outlaws and obelisks freaking check it out it's gonna be so much fun i think it's gonna be out by the time this this uh episode yeah. drops so like yeah. Go search Three Black Athletes on Spotify. They're amazing also. Yeah. Uh, I just, I love everyone at, at the, on the, in the uh, Three Black Athletes uh, family. They're so, they're so fantastic. Very talented folks. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, there are definitely some people I would love to be able to work with in the future for sure. And I, the same thing, you know, that it's another just fantastic show and the artwork for your character is so cool. And oh my God. Yeah. The yeah. artist did such an amazing job. It like the concept behind Outlaws and Obelisks is like this, like, western right but like set in like fantasy like north africa yeah right and i'm like that's so cool and i work with the gm to be like what if i played like a far traveler right drawing on my own like heritage as yeah. a chinese person right someone from like fantasy china yeah basically mm -hmm. and like the gm uh jeremy was like hell yeah let's do it let's go for it so i just i with the whole kit and caboodle with like the design of hoosier with like the the veil you know the hat and yeah. the veil and the sword and the mask yeah. you know i'm just oh i'm so excited for y'all to meet hoosier because because they're they're precious and they're huge yeah that's awesome and that is that going to be through the D, D system as well 
Wars. Yes, okay. yes, we play using D and D fifth edition, gotcha. and Jeremy's a fantastic GM. It's just it's such a riot, and everyone involved is so funny and such a great actor. And uh, you're you know if you like actual play, you you have to check it out. Yeah, yeah, that's very awesome. So I mean, that's so cool. You know the opportunities around it and just you know from the things that you've done was that something that you anticipated when you started this or were you just kind of like let's just have fun and record it literally not at all (laughs) i was kind of like let's just see what happens and like the response from the community and like all these opportunities i've gotten have have just been frankly like really overwhelming and like really truly amazing i'm i'm kind of sitting here like i've got to be doing something kind of right (laughs) right like there's something that i'm doing that's working here right so i i want to keep like digging you know mining mining that gold and 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 trying to uh put you know boost transplanter as much as i can and like improve our production quality improve the quality of our story and just uh keep meeting new people in this space and making making new friends and you know yeah. connections such as like with yourself and other people doing their podcasts and their actual plays like the community here uh overall like the vast majority of my experiences have been very positive yeah right like the ttrpg community in terms of arts communities out there is one of the most supportive mm-hmm. uh and the most like you know I don't know. Like, it just feels like everyone is like, yeah, we've all got something going on and we'll all like boost each other. Yeah. Right. It's just something about that feels very welcoming. Yes. I um, mean, of course, like every community has its flaws, <laughs> yeah. you know, its bad That's actors, et cetera. Sure. But like yeah. overall, it's been, it's been, I've had a really great, great time being in TTRPGs. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So the episode that, that dropped today for myself was with uh, B. Dave Walters. And, um, mm. and I had talked about uh, you on that episode and talked about, alongside a lot of the like big black players that are in um, TTRPGs uh, having yourself and just kind of the, the like community support and the success around that. And just for myself, I think that even though, you know, obviously you talked about the support has been so fantastic and everything. It's something that it's still, I look at it and I go like, there's still people that need to be reached. There's still people that aren't necessarily seeing this yet. And, and understanding why things like this should be successful and not just as a like give them a handout because of they're a minority and they're trans and blah 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 but like you guys are making a good quality show and doing something that's very positive Mm. for the community you know so hopefully b dave is so cool yeah i can't wait to listen to that episode actually yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm like yo that's dope i gotta (laughs) listen to that (laughs) yeah it's uh um, session 11 i like i do them all as sessions because that's what Mm. we call them in, in when we're playing games so Nice. But yeah, so I think it's it's just a lot of fun and I think it's really cool to just have, you know, those experiences and and obviously like you said you're doing something right to be able to to do all these different things and and you did recently a different one shot with mm. Three Black Captains, correct? I did. Uh once upon a story storybook i'm so sorry jasper my beautiful dm i forget the name please forgive me if you're listening to this once upon a once upon a storybook story times once upon a one shot i got it once upon a one shot uh is the name uh of that one shot and that was the one with caldwell tanner um and the the halflings uh uh jasper was was gming and jasper's a fantastic gm by the way all the halflings are fantastic uh that was a lot of fun that was so much fun to play in Yeah. yeah yeah it's really cool yeah, I mean, it's just so going on. So many things going on. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, kind of back to your show. You know, what what was the reason to like make it into arcs? Um, I guess uh, mm. having it kind of split that way. Well, I graduated uh, undergrad 
with a double major in critical race studies, Dang. specializing yeah, in Chinese di diasporic experiences, uh, and screenwriting. <laughs> so my natural inclination when approaching structuring a campaign for actual play was like, how can this be most narratively satisfying? Mm -hmm. Right. And I was looking, I, you know, I started, I was like, how many episodes do we want to go for? And I was like, probably like over a hundred, right? If we're trying to go for like our main campaign, long-term campaign, if we want to do like a level three to level 20 epic level campaign, probably over a hundred episodes. And I was like, you know what? Let's fucking go. Let's do it. Uh, so I didn't really have an arc structure planned until like arc one was done. And I just called it arcs because I like the name. I like yeah. the, I like what it evokes. Right right? Mm -hmm. Like a, a hero's journey, like an arc, right? Your, your character arc. And it sounds kind of like an act too, like act one, act two, you know, act three of like, you know, screenwriting. And it just, it felt right to me. Yeah. Uh, and in the lore of Andake, which is the setting uh, of Transplanar RPG's main campaign, which you can't see it in the podcast, but Navar can see part of the map yeah, uh, yeah. on my wall back here <laughs> for Andake, uh, drawn by one of our lovely fans, Saga. Wow, Ooh, that's so, awesome. She's so talented. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so talented. Um, Saga illustrates, go commission her. She's an amazing, she's an amazing <laughs> map maker. Um, in the lore of Andake, there are eight, there are what what's known as the eight, which is the pantheon okay. of Andake, the eight yeah. major gods, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it just sort of came to me naturally that there should be eight arcs ah, of nice. our first campaign, and we're now on to like arc four, episode one, as of the recording of this podcast episode, which basically means once we're done with arc four, we're over halfway done yeah. with our main campaign, which is kind of scary to think about, uh, but also makes sense based on how far we've come and how much we've left to go. Yeah, and I'm already like at this stage, even though we're like, about a year and maybe spare change out from finishing our main campaign, I'm thinking about our second campaign. <laughs> I really am. I'm like thinking, I'm like thinking like, can I put Easter eggs in like arc four and onward about stuff happening in like the second campaign, like after this, right? Yeah. Like, cause that's the kind of GM I am. I'm always thinking ahead. I'm always thinking about like the grand payoff, right? Like the big campaign finale. I want like all the pieces to fall together and my players to go, oh fucking shit. Like that was foreshadowed episode goddamn one like what like i live for those moments yeah. as a gm and i just hope i can live up to you know live up to the expectations <laughs> i frankly put on myself yeah no that's that's very awesome and i imagine too like as you get closer um you know there's so much you, like you said you spend two hours in a stream so much mm -hmm. emotional investment in these characters and watching them grow and watching them change and everything else so i think that the, the emotional payoff at the end of of arc eight is going to be huge i'm sure Mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. kind of I am fully expecting my cast to cry because yeah. at that point we'll have been playing together for like over two years yeah. which just like in general is a long time yeah. to be like playing a consistent campaign that doesn't fall apart <laughs> right just like even outside of streaming for sure yeah and um, so I do have a question and uh, if it's mm. something you don't want to talk about I can totally edit this out but um, in terms of being trans and queer do you feel like that informed how you played your own characters and how maybe you you played your games early on um mm. i don't know when that like experience started for you but you know do you, do you feel like that informed a lot of those things for you absolutely uh even before transplaner which is my first streamed effort um period uh even in the home games i've had the pleasure of being a player in like all of my characters were trans or at the very least had a very 
and still have a very troubled relationship with gender mm -hmm. and also a very euphoric relationship with gender as someone who's like tra you know trans and queer myself one of the first dnd characters i ever made uh god bless her heart i reused her name in a utopia campaign which is another stream channel yeah. obinpok right um but she originated in this home game johnsley tahid uh my lovely horrible uh air ganassi bard daughter right uh, and she was like super I, the best way to describe her was she's she was a twink because like the only way i can really describe her which is not typically a word you use for like women but yeah. she you know she's queer she's a woman question mark you know she's a she's a twink she's flamboyant like i love her and like that was just so much of my own personality put in her and now like even for other um games I'm a part of either like home games or more likely in like 90% of the games I play in are stream games or like actual play mm -hmm. podcasts yeah. in some in some way of you know some way or whatever uh all of my characters are trans and queer because that's just authentic to me and those are just the kinds of stories and the kinds of characters I'm interested in playing at this point yeah um and even like the you know yeah even yeah I'm thinking about like I can't talk in specifics too much but i'm playing like a dude yeah. in like an upcoming podcast right like very much a manly dude yeah. but i'm playing him as trans you know i'm playing him as like having like a lot of like trans masculinity i think and like you know a troubled relationship with intimacy and love and romance and stuff like that and like that also feels very queer to me yeah so i hope that was kind of like a roundabout way of answering <laughs> no, your yeah, question no, no. that's good um i do have a follow-up question now uh, as a cis man what is trans masculine energy <laughs> oh it's so much <laughs> it's so much yeah it's something i've got to lift this from what uh, one of my um i recently was able to participate or watch a table read of a script that a co-writer and I have been working on a pilot for a t animated TV series. I promise this is relevant to answering your question. <laughs> okay. And some feed when, you know, we got some VAs together to like read through the script and like, and then like stay afterward and give us like feedback on the table read and on the pilot. And some a piece of feedback we got from one of the characters was there's something so beautiful and tragic about him uh and this was like a, the joke character yeah. this was like the bolin of the cast okay. you know what i mean yeah. in like legend of Korra, yeah. right this was the yeah. sokka yeah. of the cast and like everyone was like there's something about this character that is just so i don't know what it is he feels like chaotic he feels like depressed he feels like he's got he is really funny but he's using it as a coping mechanism like he feels like he'd wear like a hawaiian dad shirt but like unironically ironically <laughs> right or like ironically unironically and like at the end of like when everyone was done giving their feedback i was like i wrote that character as a trans man and they were like oh and like all the pieces started falling in place they were like that's why he was giving me these vibes <laughs> and like that's really the only way i can explain it navar like something beautiful and tragic and chaotic um <laughs> And, you know, there's no one trans masculine experience. I'm only speaking to mine yeah. uh, as someone who's very much like a meme dad, right? I'm like a mean <laughs> meme dad, like trans masculine person, yeah. right? And sometimes I'm trans masculine. Sometimes I'm not because I identify as gender fluid. Yeah. Um, and my gender is just sort of like, yeah, that's my gender, <laughs> yeah. that noise, you know, <laughs> like, who knows, who cares? Um, but sometimes that's, that's how I see myself in trans masculinity. And I know I've got friends who would describe their trans masculinity as really soft oh. and very kind yeah. and very like floral you know and others would describe it as like goth alien sex right as like another <laughs> way of being transmasculine and gender is whatever you want it to be baby yeah. you know like it's it is your oyster yeah
I think, um, you know, masculinity for sure has changed a lot just over the past few years in terms of like, um, what's viewed and obviously, you know, the advent of the term toxic masculinity and everything that that represented Mm -hmm. represents, excuse me. And I remember seeing like a commercial and it was like a variety of men from like very jock, you know, macho to feminine to possibly trans, like, and across the spectrum. And I was like, I'm masculine. Like, this is what my masculinity means to me. I don't remember what the commercial was for even, but I just remember seeing that. But I think, you know, it's so important because as one as a man, but also as the father, I have three kids, but one of them is a boy. And should he decide to grow up and still remain a cis male, like what that masculinity will represent for him. And and should my girls decide to be trans or not decide, but you know what I mean? Like, should they grow up and be trans? Mm -hmm. What, what that would mean for them in terms of masculinity and, and creating positive images for them about what that is. And, and, you know, curating the people around me to make sure that there is positivity in, in gender representation. But yeah, I think it's cool. And it's something, at least from the masculinity standpoint, that growing up, like as a person who was raised by my mom and loved like poetry and songs that women sang and like things like I grew up in a place that was not okay with you not being like a mm. lumberjack masculine man. Totally, totally. <laughs> so, and I still, and, and, and I still authentically enjoy a lot of, you know, traditionally masculine things, um, but I also enjoy a lot of non-traditionally masculine things. Like, I love watching the mm-hmm. movie Over the Moon with my kids, um, if you've never seen oh, it. Oh, it's such a good it's movie. such a beautiful movie, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, yeah. It made me cry. Uh, it makes <laughs> me cry every time. Every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and here <laughs> I am, you know, to my however many listeners talking about crying as a as a man but you know what like i think it's important to to have that vulnerability and and uh mm-hmm. you know empathy and everything else so definitely and it's i feel like it's such a uh the cis heteropatriarchy man like <laughs> it it kills yeah you know because like kids you know young queer kids young gender non you know gender non-conforming kids it it kills, you know, if you tell like your, your son, like yeah, if you notice him like interested in playing with dolls or like what, you know, something like non-traditionally masculine and there are different ways you as a parent could like respond to that. You could either shut it down, mm-hmm. you know, and tell them that that's bad and that's wrong. And he'll like internalize that. Right. And like might like you, you kill that part in him. Right? Yeah. You, you kill that light inside him. Or you could be like, that's great. I support you because mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So like, I think it's really, and it's so great that you're like, tr- you're being supportive of your kids in this way. And that's something I really wish I had growing up from, from my parents, frankly. Yeah. Um, because masculinity and femininity to me are related to, but they are not prescribed by gender. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, for sure. Because there are like butch lesbians who are like, we're not men. I am like a woman, right. but I am a masculine woman. And my masculinity has nothing to do with men. Yeah. Right. Nothing yeah. at all. Yeah. It is completely apart from. Right. And there are like feminine gay men whose femininity doesn't make them like a woman yeah. or like doesn't make them, you know, tied to womanhood in any way. They don't own that. You know, they don't claim that label for themselves in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And I just think of like masculinity and femininity for me. They're like just like energies. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know this is so like wishy-washy new age, but like they really are like to me, like energies or like vibes, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to like, oh, like genders. Oh, if you look masculine, then you're a man, right? Because that's not, that's not the case at all. And also like, um, oh my God, my favorite fucking, so, uh, oh my God, what's her name? Hannah, Hannah, Hannah Gatsby, uh, who did a Nanette um the stand-up uh special on on netflix i'm not yeah she's she's a lesbian she's a white lesbian i think from like australia and she does a really funny bit uh in the net when she was like she's talking about how like like men are always like oh like why are you so masculine like why do you dress so butch like do you want it like what's going on do you wish you were a man she's like well you know, it's because you fellas need a good role model because <laughs> you're, you're not, there's something not clicking here. Yeah. And that just makes me laugh out loud, like, all the time. Yeah. Like, I like to say, like, butch lesbians invented masculinity. <laughs> like, you know, because honestly, like, I feel like that's true in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, a lot of ways, so. Yeah, there was but, yeah. a, uh, I love stand-up comedy. There was a Netflix special they did where it was, like, comedians around the world. And so they'd have, like, four mm-hmm. from each different, not each different country, but from different countries. And I want to say it was Canada, um, mm-hmm. and there was a trans person, and they were talking about like, okay, you know, when the reporter writes this, they're going to be like, well, she was very funny for a woman, <laughs> and, and like talk and jokes about like how that's offensive, but then also says like, sure, but if you could, I understand you using the pronoun she, her, but if you could, um, I would actually prefer if you called me gentleman elf. <laughs> And I'm like, gentleman elf is such a like, and you, you look at them and it's like, oh yeah, this, like, I don't know how you nailed that, but you nailed it. And this is hilarious. It's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. So gentleman elf mm-hmm. is, is now an option uh, for anybody who hasn't watched that. But yeah, I think it's, you know, for myself, I was very fortunate to, um, you know, my mom was always just like wonderful, I guess. Like she was always open and kind of whatever we wanted and none of us, you know, necessarily struggled with anything in terms of gender, but whenever it came to like, yeah, my mom was like, you want to write poems, like write poems, you want to read books, whatever, like, and she was always like open and was willing to talk about anything. Um, And for me as a kid who was always asking questions and didn't necessarily understand the world all the time, um, it, it was important to have somebody cultivate that for me. And I think that my mom did that. And so, um, you know, taking that and then, you know, growing it into the world that we're in now. And I think, I don't know, I would like to think that even if there wasn't this, you know, revolution of people feeling comfortable in their own bodies now, uh, or at least comfortable talking about their, um, who they are, um, I think I would still be the same, but, you know, I feel like that a lot of, a lot of that helped me to, um, to be okay with it. Um, and to feel like, you know, whatever my kids do, I'm going to love them. And, and I think the only thing that really stresses me out is the rest of the world. And I do, Mm -hmm. my fear around any of that comes from, I don't want my kids to ever be in danger. Um, I don't care if my son wears heels and whatever, like, but I don't ever want him to be in danger. And that's where fear comes into it for me. And it's not something that I'm going to like, I I hear you. Yeah. Definitely. That's a really real fear. Um, I, before the pandemic, my partner and I visited China, mm-hmm. uh, and vis- visited, uh, my dad lives in China. He lives in Shanghai. We stayed at his apartment. Yeah. Uh, and he actually has turned out to be, you know, actually very supportive of my queerness, which I am, I continue to be surprised by. Yeah. Um, 
that it's my dad of all people who support it, but he, he really is. And the only times where he's like, Connie, you might not want to hold hands with C in public so much or like kiss them in public is when he's like, you know, out of a place of fear. Mm -hmm. I think like he, he, he isn't like, you can't do this. This is my house. You can't, he's very supportive. You know, like he's, you know, could you even like let my, my partner and I like stay in the same room. And I was like, dad, you're so cool. (laughs) Like what? Um, but like, I could, you know, I could see that his concerns were like coming from a place of love yeah. and like, you know, worry for me, you know, wanted me, me to be safe physically and like emotionally. Right. So like, I think that like, you know, with your, with your son, like I, I totally hear that this world is so hostile to people who are gender nonconforming to people who are trans to people who are queer. It's getting more and more accepting now, but it also like so much of it depends on where you live. Right. Yeah. Um, and it depends on like the kind of like, Honestly, like the kind of like socioeconomic freedoms you have access to, like, honestly, like, yeah, it's all related, man. Like, it's all like, (laughs) like your safety is contingent on so many factors. Right. Yeah. Well, and then exactly. And then so go throw in, you know, three black kids on top of that. And, you know, there's Mm -hmm. other fears that are associated there, too. So being a parent is stressful. I mean, I wouldn't take it, you know, I wouldn't Mm. trade it in for the world. I I absolutely love it. Um, But yeah, <laughs> when you think about all of the prospects of of future world, and you know the fact that we just got out of four years of Trump, and how do we even get there? Like, it's yeah crazy. You would think, you would think like going back to like 2015, like there's no way our world's much better than it used to be. There's no way things like this are going to happen. Nope. Whenever I mean, just look at the history of the United States. Whenever there is a push toward the left or any sort of progressive movement happens, there's always a reactionary movement that whips up in response to it. Yeah. Like always, 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 you know, it's a problem with the two party system. I say burn it all down. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's where I am as an anarchist. Burn it all down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, I think I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about your world building for one. And then um, also mm. the, your, your game that you're working on. If that's something that you're still like, I know it's kind of a new yeah, thing. Totally. But, you know, so let's do it. Yeah, for sure. So as far as the world being goes, because I feel like um, you've covered this a lot before, so we can probably, I'm sure you can work that out pretty quick. But um, and we're not like necessarily on a time limit, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. So when you built your world very much in a way that is set in a positive light, set away from the traditional D&D worlds of colonialism, imperialism, things like that. Uh, I feel like I kind of know you know, why you did that, but, you know, was that, I guess, what inspired that, you know, why was that such an important thing for you in, in, in doing it? Totally. Yeah. So, uh, if you've been paying attention since the beginning of this, uh, this session, <laughs> uh, you'll know that I describe Transplanar RPG as set in an original non-colonial anti-Orientalist world. And we picked those two, I specifically picked those two descriptors very intentionally. Yeah. Uh, so the non-colonial aspect, for a long time I was like, should we call it decolonized? Should we call it anti-colonial? Uh, and in the end, I landed on non-colonial because our... You know, our world isn't decolonized or decolonizing because there was never a colony in the first place. There was never colonization in this world in the first place. So there's nothing for it to decolonize from is like one one very straightforward reason. And the second one is because the term decolonize has a very specific political stance. 
uh, when you decolonize your mind, when you decolonize your politics, when you decolonize your um, like feminism or, you know, et cetera, it means you're sort of like um, acknowledging the fact that unless you're indigenous in the United States, you're a settler. Right. Um, and, you know, all of the issues, you know, that, that come with that. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that isn't necessarily my story to tell, mm -hmm. nor because I'm not indigenous, um, nor is it a story uh, that, that first of all, I felt equipped to tell, uh, nor was it one that I was interest, necessarily interested in telling through this, you know, this main, this first main campaign that we have yeah. here. So I picked non-colonial because I wanted to make it clear to everyone that a colonizing project within the lore of our setting has never, does not currently, and will never exist in Andake. Yeah. Like, there's not going to be one nation trying to colonize another nation. Like, that just won't happen. Like, we exist away from even the threat of colonization in our world. So that's why I picked non-colonial. Um, Anti-Orientalist is a little is a little bit more personal to me as someone who is Chinese, mm -hmm. uh, whose heritage belongs to what the West would call, quote-unquote, the Orient, yeah. right? Um, so it was important to me that the lore, the histories, the gods, um, the architecture, the foods, the names, the languages, everything about Andake pushed back against normative ways of looking at, quote-unquote, other uh, places in fantasy, yeah, right? Because we've got eight major nations in Endake that I've, you know, did continue to do and will continue to do a lot of research into because each, most of each nation um, is, is built off of, uh, modeled after a different like real world culture uh, or cluster of cultures. Mm -hmm. For example, in Arc 4, we are going to be going into the kingdom of Tulong, uh, which is based off of, it's essentially like, it's based off of, uh, uh, I want to say uh, Ming Ming Dynasty China. Okay. Uh, and I'm drawing a lot of my like research off of that, and also off of like uh, wuxia films, uh, which are basically like Chinese martial arts, fantasy, cultivation like films and stories, yeah. right? Uh, and it's important to me that not not just too long, but like our other nations, you know, Moroz, Jukai, Kirtal, Talmud, Uhanahi, Nabal, the Court of Ravens, uh, are all treated with a lot of respect and that not any of them is like a, oh, like, oh, the Court of Ravens is like, uh, oh, Court of Ravens, that's the Middle East, right? That's yeah. the Middle East of our setting. Like, I'm not playing with any of that, yes, <laughs> right? So that's, that's what like a non-colonial and anti-oriental excuse me, anti-Orientalist mean to me. And it also means that we're not like looking at any of these nations through like a fetish, you know, fetishistic or, you know, exoticized lens, yeah. right? There's no one nation that's like, ooh, you're like this nation is where all of like the the, the sexy elves are from. <laughs> oh, this nation's where all the evil elves are from. Like yeah. not, none of that shit. We don't play with that. Yeah. Uh, and we also don't do any bioessentialism in our setting. Um, I tell all of my guests, and I told all of my uh, main players, uh, any guest players that we have on, uh, that they have to do homebrew race rules. You cannot uh, build your character using race uh, rules as written. Yeah. Uh, which all of the guests have actually found that to be really exciting. Yeah. They're like, hell yeah, we get to use Tasha's. Or like, hell yeah, I get to do it, like be like a fire-breathing elf or like something, yeah. right? But that's also important to me. Uh, that rate, you know, the borders in Endake are not drawn along racial lines at all. There's no orc nation. There's no dwarven stronghold, right? Yeah. Um, it's drawn along like national borders and um, uh, hi hi historical borders. So that was a really long spiel. No, I'm, I'm sure you've got yeah. questions. No, yeah, that, you, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, so. <laughs> that's perfect. I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's really awesome to do that and to take the time to do that and, and make it, you know, such an important thing and, and keep it at the forefront because, mm -hmm. 
uh, as we've seen in a lot of instances, unfortunately, you know, individual creators or smaller creators are going to have to do that for these bigger companies because in most cases, they're not going to. Uh, you know, like D&D is really still struggling in a lot of ways to to handle some of that stuff. And, you know, Pathfinder has made probably more bigger moves and I really love the Moinga Expanse book, but it's still, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it perfect either. So um, I think it's, you know, great that you're doing that and then great that, you know, it's it's in a place that people have the access to it, to listen to it and and kind of see what this looks like and you know, and digest it and enjoy it. So um, that's a lot of fun. Do you feel like you'll ever get to a point or is this something that you're working on of creating this in a way that people will be able to use Ndake as their world for their home games? Absolutely. We have been joking. It started as a joke. But as days go on, it grows more and more serious uh, about the idea of releasing it like an Endake setting book yeah. for fifth edition uh, as like a Kickstarter. So like anyone who's interested in this world, like can run their own home campaign in this world. Yeah. That's definitely like, I think, a stretch goal for us, like on the horizon, maybe as we like are closing out yeah. our, our first main campaign. That's like something we can do to sort of like, that would be a really nice postmortem. Yeah, for sure. I think of our of our main campaign. But yeah, that's definitely in the works. We've got we don't have irons in the fire necessarily actively, but right. we are starting to shop for furnaces. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Well, I'm excited to see that play out. And then um mm-hmm. yeah, let's talk a little bit about the game that you're working on. Hell yeah. So I am in the process of writing God Killer, uh the God Killer RPG, mm-hmm. uh, which is a holy punk powered by the apocalypse hack uh for one player the god killer (laughs) and one gm god Mm. uh so the the setting the aesthetics i'm drawing on um it's kind of like mad max fury road meets the raven tower by ann lecky okay uh and i'm drawing upon like irradiated divinity uh the ideas of like tragic heroism um you know sacrifices in order to like forge a, a future out of the ashes of this world right um god killer kill some god <laughs> let's do it uh and i am i want to say like 40 percent done with my first pass at like the actual core rules yeah uh i did a playtest of it on stream on friends without friends who roll dice's channel back in like march i want to say okay. of 20 uh 2021 um but the rules have changed a lot since then i've been working on other projects since then as well so um for a couple of months between march and i want to say july god killer kind of fell to the wayside but now in july and august i've been picking it up again especially after this project was accepted into the uh tabletop mentorship program i've been working with my tabletop mentor uh mid who's been fantastic uh don have been great um giving me some great advice on how to flesh out my rules a little bit more and i fully intend to fingers crossed please don't quote me on this Navar, <laughs> but also please do yeah. because then i'll be i'll be forced to release it by then uh to have the, the my first pass at the rules done by uh the end of the fall awesome uh of 2021 so hopefully it'll either be have, i don't know then, like so. <laughs> yeah so you know you, you're gonna have to do follow, it. <laughs> yeah follow the progress uh on on twitter at god killer rpg yeah. keep me accountable please yeah for sure uh but yeah 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 that's that's the concept behind the game that's awesome so what in what um was this like game design something you always wanted to do or did you just kind of 
dream about this idea and wake up and go, I'm doing this thing. Mm. Game design was not always something I wanted to do. As I mentioned earlier, I graduated with um, a degree in screenwriting and I still, you know, I still do have, you know, screenwriting projects that I'm working on. Uh, the uh, the pilot that I mentioned earlier uh, about the table read yeah. uh, is is one such project I'm actively uh, working on and, and getting to a finishing state. Um, in terms of game design, it wasn't until after, I want to say honestly, like six to nine months ago that I started kind of taking game design more seriously yeah. as like a potential, like not, you know, like creative art to pursue. Yeah. You know, because... Being involved on TTRPG Twitter, you get to know not just other GMs and players, but game designers. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like people who make this stuff, talk about like systems, talk about, you know, alternatives to D&D, alternatives to Pathfinder, like game design, tabletop, like theory. And I was like, I started off as like a casual. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, what's a D12? I don't know. Yeah. You're like, oh, what's a core resolution system? Who, who knows? You know, what what's a belt? Like, what's a curve? I don't get that. Yeah. You know, and, but now, like, as I've just sort of like picked some things up through osmosis and I realized, hey, I am a game designer because I've homebrewed a bunch of yeah. shit for Transplaner, like a bunch of like combat modules, roleplay modules, like a bunch of like homebrew stat blocks. I am a game designer, yeah. right? I should own that label, right? I shouldn't feel like I need to gatekeep myself from taking that label, especially now that I've released like a one page RPG and I've got like other things in the works. I'm, you know, really excited to continue down this like creative path of discovering myself as a game designer and seeing how that's similar to and also different from um, how I approach screenwriting yeah. and creative writing and world building, right? Uh, so the concept for God Killer specifically came to me almost a year ago at this point. Okay. I want to say like November or December of last year, of like 2020. Mm-hmm. Wait, yeah, 2020. Um, <laughs> I wanted to run a home game, a home one-on-one game with my partner, mm-hmm. C. Uh, and it, it was originally set in D&D 5th edition because that was the only system I really knew how to run at the time. Yeah. Um, and I was like, what kind of a game do we want it to be? We know we want it to be homebrew. And together we came up with this idea of like a character. They wanted to play a character called the God Killer. They were like, I want to play this God Killer. I want this to be a world with a bunch of gods. I'm interested. Like we just finished watching Mad Max. Mm-hmm. They're like, I really want to do like a Mad Max, like, you know, setting, you know, and they'd also just finished reading the Raven Tower. So yeah. they're like, I really want to <laughs> put Mad Max and the Raven Tower together. And I came up with this idea of the world of the God Killer, okay. where there's a bunch of gods and they're immortal, mortals like live under their tyranny or their for now benevolent rule and the gods walk among this world you know among mortals among kings and queens and rulers etc but they're untouchable Mm -hmm. so if you're mortal you're shit out of luck yeah uh you your life depends on the whims of the gods that own you until in a baptism of blood and fire the god killer is born the one and only as far as we know mortal who can actually kill a god so now the gods are like Oh fuck! <laughs> one of one of our insects, one of our lieges, you know, or yeah. one, one of our vassals can actually hurt us. So it's all about like you, you know, all these people, other mortals, gods, especially. If you're the god killer, they want to control you, yeah. or they want to kill you, uh, or they want to dominate you, or they want to fuck you, or they want to, you know, like eat you, or consi- like. There's all these like demands that this brutal world has of the god killer that like. Eventually, we were playing this, and we were like, "Fifth edition is not the right system for this." Yeah, like this D and D is not really suiting the story we're trying to tell here. Uh, which sort of brought me to, "What if I just wrote a system for us to play this <laughs> in?" You know, and it's just sort of like went on from there. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So, is it going to be like some like Shadow of Colossus type shit, where like the gods are giant, mega giant, or is it going to be kind of? If you want to talk about it, we can keep it. 
Yeah, for sure. I'll get out. People, uh, this is special for listeners of Navarre's podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, special sneak peek into the mechanics of God Killer. Some gods are definitely gonna be like here. And I'm thinking like there are dungeon crawls inside the bodies of like dead gods that you could like do. Yes. And I'm like, really excited about these things. Um, the one mechanic I'm particularly excited about that I think I can talk about because I'm pretty sure it's gonna make it into the final iteration are what I'm calling God decks. Mm-hmm. So this idea of like making these beautiful, like if this were Kickstarter, this would definitely be like a reward yeah. right? this would definitely be like a fun add-on you could buy um like decks of like gods that contain the gods like stat blocks for like the gm to run it from and you could like it's also like a randomizer so you're like oh what gods in this area you draw from the deck of minor gods you pull one out and boom that's the god you're facing off against this god in this encounter or something right like it's like they have like these beautifully illustrated decks that like um currently the mechanic i'm working with are like gods have uh weaknesses and the only way to kill a god is to exploit all of their weaknesses in the same scene, yeah. right? And like things happen in the game when you ex- successfully exploit a weakness, things happen when you don't, right? So it's like a tug of war of power between like not just the god killer and the gods you're trying to kill, but like the player and the GM as well. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun for sure. I'm. It's a lot of fun writing it. It's also really scary because <laughs> I'm like, will my vision come through in the execution of it, right? right? Yeah. Like that's always the problem when you're a creative. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about like writing a game uh, like a you know fantasy alternative to D anD D and Pathfinder, um, and using mm. some of the because there's a lot of stuff that like you know everybody wants to have the most dynamic combat, but there's like so mm. many games you're just like I stand in this block and I don't have to move and I'm just going to do my one two three attacks and blah blah blah. So yep, um, you know yep. some some of that stuff or but, making combat fun like depends on your GM, right? Yeah, right. Like not necessarily the system you're playing. Yes, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely something that I've flirted with, but I haven't really jumped into. But it's funny mm-hmm. you talk about like TTRPG space on Twitter and just like how accessible you, some of these people are. Um, I was having like a just a DM mess uh, uh, conversation with somebody um, who's going to come on the show eventually, and we were just talking about like dragon ball z and like joking around we're talking about anime Mm. and we were just like turned it into like this like back and forth of if this was a ttrpg and i was like i'm just gonna see what happens so i just posted like hey and i posted two um two game designers that i know of and i was just like how would you make dbz work when you power scale a super saiyan god and it turned into like a full-on like twitter thread of all this like I was like, I honestly was just like hoping you'd like, well, not necessarily. I was hoping that for this, I didn't realize it, but I was just like, I expected just like a quick, like, you know, jokey answer of like, oh, I would do this thing. And it became like a legit, like, no, you can actually make this work. And here's how you do it. And you create all these tier systems and you have to have these right stakes. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) this is so cool. So um, by the time this comes out, I'll uh, have him on. But Quinn Murphy, um, who does a bunch of game design for Pathfinder and stuff, that's so exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's such a cool thing. But yeah, I mean, that whole space is just crazy. And and mm. I also hate Twitter at the same time. So there's that. Same. <laughs> I do also hate Twitter. Yeah. It's like when I am, I'm always happy when one of my tweets blows up, but I also know that I'm like, okay, here come the trolls. Yeah. Like here come like the takes I never asked for. <laughs> it's definitely like a, a hit or hit or miss situation on Twitter, I would say. Yeah. Usually both. Usually both. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thankfully I'm not popular enough to have to deal with that, but I know I know <laughs> that it exists. I can tell you that. Listen, one of your tweets could blow up literally any day. And like I'm like not even kidding, Navarre. Like <laughs> 
one day you'll wake up and you'll have like 10k likes on a tweet you're gonna be like wow there's so many new followers and wow so many people calling me names what the hell <laughs> like yeah. it's it sooner or later i feel like it happens to at least like most people on twitter <laughs> like it's it's just an effect of the twitter sphere yeah it's just inevitable Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed you being on the show. Um, this has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, this is absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, yeah, Navarro. This sure. is such a great conversation. Yeah, and I will definitely uh, love to get C on and and talk to them. And oh hell yeah! Too, so yeah, so we'll, we'll get all that planned. But thank you so much for doing this, and you know, continued kicking ass with your projects. This has been very awesome to see and i'm gonna root for you all the way oh thank you so much yeah i've got it i'm gonna like log off and i have to listen to that b dave walters uh <laughs> uh episode you just did yeah. and i have to get my eyes peeled for the quinn murphy one too yeah it sounds really exciting for sure yeah yeah definitely thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed the show if you would like to reach out to us check out the many options on the anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser you can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 